Welcome to Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today, we're lucky to have in the uh, in the studio or on the show with us, uh, Mike Moyer. Mike is the uh, uh, is the ideator or the creator of the slicing pie uh, methodology for dividing equity and uh, startup companies. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. For sure. So for those in the audience who haven't heard of your methodology of, of giving up equity amongst founders in a startup, which, you, which, which I think you call slicing pie, and slicingpie.com is, your, is a website you, you host. Tell us about it. Well, Slicing Pie is an equity model for early stage bootstrap startup companies. And it's the only equity model on the planet that ensures a perfect split between all the founders and participants and early investors. So most of the time when we do an equity split, we do it based on our guesses about the future. So entrepreneurs have big dreams about what's going to happen, and their employees and advisors make big promises on what they're going to bring to the table. So an equity split kind of roughly equates to someone's dreams divided by someone's promises, or vice versa, someone's promises divided by their dreams. It's all based on guesses about the future and rules of thumb, and it creates what's called a fixed equity split. And a fixed equity split is when you dole out chunks of equity in advance of work actually being done in hopes that it will be done. And inevitably, what do you think is going to happen won't happen. So you have to go back to the drawing board and renegotiate. Slice and pie, on the other hand, is based on reality, and it counts the things that are actually actual contributions. So the best way to think about it is a game of blackjack. Do you guys know how to play blackjack? Yep. Yeah. So let's say, Joe, you and I go to Las Vegas to play blackjack together. We're friends. We go in 50-50 and shake on it, right? Okay. We go to Las Vegas. We each put a dollar on the same hand of blackjack. Now, we don't know if we're going to win. We don't know how much we're going to win. We don't know how long it's going to take to win. All that we can actually know is how much we've bet. The future is unknowable, but the present is absolutely knowable. So the dealer deals two aces. So what do we do? Uh, probably don't take another hit. Uh, two aces to you or two aces to me? Split those. You split we those split aces, them, right? right? All split, right. Split them up. We're playing together, not against each other. Okay. So we're going to split the aces and double down. But I'm out of money and you're not, so you put two more dollars down. We still don't know if we're going to win. We don't know how much we're going to win or when we're going to win. All that we know is that you bet $3 and I bet $1. Does 50-50 sound fair anymore? Uh, it sounded fair at the start. Yeah, not fair you, anymore. You've made three bucks of the bet. You don't think it's fair anymore, Mike? No, because, well, the, the follow-on bet is betting on two aces, right? Right. So, like, I mean, if you if you had the ability to bet money and, and you knew one of your cards was going to be an ace on two different hands, that, that bet has a different different uh, uh, risk profile than, than betting on, uh, on without knowing anything, right? But all we am actually I, am I right, Mike? is that you've bet $3 and I've bet $1. So you should get 75% of the winnings, right? Yeah, that's. I guess. I guess it's tough. I guess that that's stuff starts to break down a little bit. Maybe, maybe you should because I mean the bet wouldn't have been made at all if you didn't come in with the extra money. So I mean maybe you should get. Maybe you should get all that extra money. I mean it's the other person had had the opportunity to put the money up and, and decided not to. We said fifty fifty, but you put in seventy five percent of the bet. Oh yeah, I need I need to get more back now. Yeah, logically you should get seventy five percent of the winnings. Yeah, okay. yeah. I guess that right. unless unless you, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the problem is is no one you know. There, there, there's different ways you could split it, but I could see why things could break down, well, right? And this probably happens all the time, right? In, right. In, uh, so in the startup, even though we have a fifty-fifty deal in place, and I could sue you and probably win, it doesn't make it fair. Slicing when you contribute to a startup company, you're essentially making a bet on the future outcome of that company in terms of profits or sale, and the amount of your bet is equal to the fair market value of your contribution. So if you make seventy-five percent of the bets, you should get seventy-five percent of the winnings. 
it should not be very ambiguous. Most of the time, we try to guess in advance what the bet should, what the winning split should be, and that doesn't work out very well. Hmm. So tell us so how, how this works you, what, in the startup context. Yeah. Pardon? So, so, tell, us so how, tell us how this works. So this, this move out of Vegas and move into our speculative startup uh, venture. And talk so, about how this would work in that sense. Basically what happens is startup founders come together on day one, and they haven't done any work yet. So there's really no equity. And equity doesn't really matter during the startup phase because there's no financial benefit. There's a control issue that I can talk about later, but financially, there's no benefit to owning equity in a startup company. There's no profits. There's no sale. So on, you simply track your contributions. People contribute time and ideas and relationships and facilities and supplies and cash. The value of those contributions is always equal to the fair market value of your, of your contribution. So, for instance, if I'm worth $100,000 a year doing marketing and I do marketing for your company – I'm betting $100,000 a year on your company. That would break down on a roughly basis to $50 an hour. So every hour I work on your company, I'm, I'm betting $50 of my time. And SliceyPie uses a, a, common multiple, a common currency called a slice. A slice is a fictional unit of at-risk contribution. And you convert your contribution into slices. It's kind of like a poker, kind of like a poker chip. So $1 in non-cash contribution equals two slices. So every hour that goes by, I contribute... 100 slices to that pie. Cash is weighted more heavily because if you got paid $50 an hour to work for me and you wanted to buy something that cost $50, it would take you more than an hour to earn enough money. Because when I paid you, I paid Social Security taxes. When you received the money, you'd pay income tax. And when you bought the thing, you'd pay sales tax. So you might have to work two hours to earn that thing. So cash out of your pocket, unreimbursed expenses, is weighed more heavily. It actually buys you four slices. So for every dollar in non-cash, you get you get two slices. For every dollar in cash, you get four slices. And at break-even, you simply divide your slices by all the slices. That determines your equity split. So you do that at so that that's the time when the uh, the things get locked down to do the equity is is at some point where the business breaks even. Is that that's how it? So so how do you set that up uh, going into a business? Is it? And Joe, Joe may know the answer to this because he deals a lot more with equity and, and startups than I do. But I mean, do they, do they agree on equity that will be variable and to be issued at a later date? Is that yes. uh, is that how it works? At break even, no one's making any bets. You're, you're playing with the house's money. You either raise Series A or break even, which in which case now you're getting paid. I'm getting paid my 50 bucks an hour. I'm getting paid for my travel expenses. I'm getting paid for everything. So once I'm getting paid, I'm no longer making bets and the betting stops. So the Pi determines what the split is. So there's a couple of ways you can work on it. You can, in an LLC, you can do capital calls and reorganize it however you want. In a C-Corp, you would issue restricted shares in the beginning and use slicing pie as a vesting mechanism. So at, at break-even or termination, you would vest the shares according to what slicing pie told you to do to invest in. That's great. And so the website you have, does it, it has details about how to do it. Are there, are there tools there to track uh, you know, how much time people spend on things or what do people usually do a spreadsheet or like how, how it sounds like it's a, it sounds like a good way to do it in practice, but it might, it might be kind of hard to keep track of every hour that people work. Is that how do, how do people do that when they're, when they're actually implementing the method? Well, you can track in whatever level of granularity you're comfortable. So you don't have to track hour by hour. You can track day by day or week by week or month by month. Um, but there is a tracking tool at slicingpie.com. There's also free downloadable spreadsheets. You can make your own spreadsheet. There's videos and resources, and there's legal agreements online you can buy. 
Um, my goal is to make sure everyone in the world gets what they deserve from their company, and this is the best way to do it, I think. Um, well, it seems like a nice thing about the the scenario is sometimes I think founders, especially it's a difficult conversation to have with a co-founder or, or other co-founders about how much of the company you should have. And um, so people often will call me or they'll call Joe, ask for advice about that kind of thing. And it's really hard. Um, it's a hard conversation to have. And I think a lot of times founders are looking for, uh, you know, some some external source of truth to say, you know, this is how this is one way it's done or this is how it should be done so that they can, um, you know, take take their personal personal ambitions out of the equation and say, hey, here's here's what a neutral third party thinks is a good way to split things. And um, and I'm not asking for too much or too little. Uh, I, I just know that I'm relying on, you know, we can all agree that this other thing is is a reasonable way to do it. And then and then use that thing to calculate without getting worried about the um, I don't know, the outcome at the at the outset. That's the that's the conventional approach is to go out and seek advice, seek advice from advisors and attorneys and experienced entrepreneurs. And no matter how well-meaning you are, no matter what you pick in the beginning, if you choose a fixed number, it's going to be wrong. You're either going to do more than you said you were going to do or less than you said you were going to do. It's very rare that it works out perfectly. So what that means is you're back at the drawing table each time. So you and I go in 50-50 and you do all the work and you're stuck with me as a partner. Or let's say I'm a marketing person, you're a technology person, you want to hire a technology person. Does it come out of your share or my share? It's not going to help me out. It's going to help you out. It's always a renegotiation. And those renegotiations chip away at relationships in a very real way that can ultimately lead to the deterioration of the company. Slicing pie, on the other hand, actually allows you to act like a real company. You set a fair market salary, which is something that people do all the time. And you say, as you work, equity is going to be calculated based on your contribution using your fair market salary. So in slicing pie, you make decisions like you make decisions in a real company. And if you can pay cash, you pay cash. If you don't, you allocate slices. So what do you do when, when cash is needed for something in a company like this? Do you, do you put word out to every, uh, every founder that they each have the opportunity to put up an equal amount of the cash so that they don't get diluted or, or who gets to decide or you, what you don't want to have happen? I assume is, you know, the company's a rocket ship. It looks like it's going to do great. Uh, you know, so maybe the founders are looking for ways to spend money on the company so they can get their two, what is it, four, four slices per dollar. I mean, how do you decide who gets to spend the money to get those slices? Well, there's a couple of things going on there. The first thing that's important to note that it, it aligns incentives properly. So the 4X and 2X multipliers allows you to make decisions about how you want to spend money. So knowing that I give away four slices for every cash dollar I spend makes me very conservative with my dollars. The second one is, um, people can put in what they can afford, but the money only converts to equity when it's actually consumed. So if I put money in the bank, it's not really at risk. It's just sitting in the bank. When I spend the money, it becomes at risk. And managers should think twice before they spend the money, knowing that it's more expensive than non-cash. How you allocate, how you allow individuals to participate depends on their ability to participate and their interest in participating and your company policy. For the most part, you know the model is designed to reflect the fact that different people put cash in at different times. And there's there's ways of managing that. So for for you know anyone that's arm's length from the company, putting money in, I would use a convertible note, um, to keep it out of the pie. But if you're involved in the company on a daily basis, you would uh, use slices from the founders. But you always want to use the most efficient financing tool possible. So tell tell us about. So you're saying that when you avoid the adverse tax consequences here is you use a like a retrenchment mechanism. So you issue the equity, and then if someone doesn't 
uh, earn as much as they got, then you just call it back. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, you use a restricted share. So that's, so that's no different. I mean, what we typically do when we found companies is we issue restricted shares to people subject to vesting. I mean, so that so this sounds you know in a way substantially similar to what we're what we typically always do. The difference is that vesting is a time based, and you have to determine the equities put up front. With slicing pie is is contribution based, and you determine the equity when the, the betting stops. So slicing pie is a vesting agreement, right? But it's based on uh, it's not based on time; it's based on some sort of perform performance of something. Right, vesting is in place because people know they've made a mistake in the equity split, and they want a way to protect themselves when it doesn't work out. Slicing pie has recovery rules built into it. So, for instance, if the employee is at fault for the separation because they get fired for cause or they leave for no cause, they would lose their slices for non-cash contributions, and their cash contributions would reduce to 1x instead of 4x. So the buyout price would be equal to, the, equal to their cash contribution. On the flip side of the coin, if the company causes a separation because they just at will fire someone at will or they change the person's job, that person would keep their slices in the pie, and the buyout price would be equal to a dollar per, dollar per slice. So, for example, I had a woman that worked for a startup company using slicing pie, and her fair market salary was $60,000 a year, which is $5,000 a month, which is 10,000 slices per month. She worked for two months, which is $20,000, or, or sorry, $10,000, and equals 20,000 slices. And she got in a fight and got fired on the spot by, with her, by her boss. So the buyout price was $20,000. He didn't want to pay her that, and I don't blame him. She didn't do anything. But he should have thought twice before he fired her. So Slicing Pie protects employees from at will getting fired for no cause, and it protects employers from employees that don't work out. In a vesting agreement, there's nothing stopping an employer from firing someone the day before they vest. There's nothing stopping an employee from quitting the day after they vest. I've seen both scenarios more than once. So, Mike, how many companies do you think are out there using the slicing pie methodology right now? It's difficult for me to track. There are thousands of users on the software, and I sell thousands of copies of the books all over the world. It's been translated into eight different languages. But it's difficult for me to track exactly who's using it at any given time. Um, I published the first white paper in 2010 describing how the model worked. And since that publication, the books, like I said, has been published I've two different versions of the book, and it's been published all over the world. Um, I haven't heard of a single founder dispute based on slicing pie, not one, where typically uh, some estimates say two-thirds of startups that fail fail because of founder issues. And I'm sure as startup attorneys, you've dealt with this kind of stuff before. Gotcha. So, interesting. And so you, you find that um, the tax issues are are manageable because if someone forms an LLC, then you can just, I mean, you're allocating points in the LLC and that's manageable from a tax point of view. And if it's a corporation, you're going to, you're going to issue restricted stock, but subject to clawback based on performance. Uh, so I guess there's a potential risk of error there. If someone performs more than they received a restricted stock, then you've kind of got a tax issue potentially. Um, so how, well, let's say, let's say, uh, Let's say we think Mike's going to put in 25% of the. We have to make it. We have to issue. If we form a corporation, we have to issue restricted stock at the outset, right? Someone's got to own the stock of the company when we when we when we start. And so typically, what we do is we would say, well, the same you and I and Mike do start the three of us, and we each get a, we each get a third at the start, 
subject to a vesting clawback, right? If we don't, if we don't, we don't generate the the pie that we the, the slice of the pie that we were initially allocated. I mean, you're going to initially allocate, a, say, a million shares to each of us for the, each of our one thirds. But say Mike overperforms and he actually is entitled to half. How does that work in your model? Well, you would simply buy down the number of shares to make it equal to half. Well, in, in so, my sense, it's, he started with a third. So how do we get into a half? So let's say we each have 10 shares. And at the end, Mike, Mike is entitled to half. So five of Mike's would, would best and 2.5% of or two and a half shares of the other guy. Let's say there's three people, three of us, and we each have a third at the outset in, in unvested shares. At vesting, if it says Mike has a half, then my whole 10 shares would vest, and each one of you would vest five shares. Gotcha. So the vesting, the, the, way, the way you capture this mechanically is, uh, it's not just vesting on, it's not just Mike vesting on Mike's shares, it's a, it's a joint collaborative agreement. Uh, we're gonna get Mike to the right number based on vesting of our shares as well. Right, it's, it's all relative. And I have a, I have a buy down calculator on my website, you can calculate the actual numbers. Right. So one thing that comes to mind, Mike, and I, I don't know if this comes to, uh, Mike Schneider's mind too, but frequently in um, frequently in startup land, we hear the expression uh, "perfect is the enemy of good." I mean, and so I know you like to talk about the perfect equity splits, right? And <laughs> you like to talk about how the uh, the fixed, you know, you you, you describe as the fixed uh, methodology as imperfect. And but I mean, doesn't this doesn't this involve a little more complexity than than uh, than the, the traditional method? What's really complex is unwinding a fixed equity split when it doesn't work. The legal issues, the emotional issues, the financial issues that face companies that fail because of their financial split. In my career, more than once, I've been burned by bad equity splits. I had a partner once who uh, gave me an oppressive equity split and gave me uh, made me sign an agreement that allowed him to buy it back at no cost if I left the company. Um, I've just I had a Developer once who took thirty five percent of the equity and never showed up to right. work. Well, but, but on that again. one, on that one, we would never. I mean, we regularly coach clients never issue equity not subject to vesting, right? So you issue if you hire the developer and you give them thirty five percent, you make them subject to vesting. Usually, like a four year vesting schedule with a one year cliff. And sure, it's time based, but the beautiful thing about time based vesting is the guy who runs the company, the guy who owns the majority of it, and controls the board. He gets to decide on a on a daily, weekly, you know, monthly basis whether that person is performing or not. If they're not, they can just you can fire them, and they, whatever the rest of them, they get. Maybe they get to keep it. Usually, they do. Uh, if it's vested, that's the sort of definition of vesting. But in the other words, you would never issue. I mean, a well-counseled company would never issue thirty-five percent to somebody on a non-vested basis. Well, I've been in that position too, where I've been well-counseled and I've doled out the equity to employees as the as the manager, and it makes me all powerful, and I want them more than I actually deserved. So my team had thirty percent, and I had seventy percent which is way more than I deserved. I wasn't twice as valuable as all my whole team together. So managers, when they do all that equity in that fashion, they, they tend to be too conservative with their employees and overly protective of their equity. With the slicing pie model, everyone gets treated the same with regard to how they earn, even the, even the founders. All right. So what, uh, you know, what happens if you, uh, you're valuing time, right? Time is one component of the, of the formula, right? Um, you don't really, you're not describing much, Value, or are you? How much value are you describing to sort of the idea? So ideas are, are a tricky one. There's there's ideas that that make the business competitive. There's ideas that are just 
ideas. So, you know, in some ways, you know, if you have a patent for a single polarity magnet that can make billions of dollars, that's clearly a intellectual piece of intellectual property that's important. If your idea is to start a hot dog stand, it may not be that the idea may not be worth much. But you always look at the fair market. The fair market for an, it's an inventor with an idea or a creative or intellectual property can the option is to license it to somebody or sell it to somebody. So in slicing pie, you simply license the idea to the company in exchange for a royalty payment that can be paid in cash, or if the cash isn't available, it can be paid in slices. Most of the time, ideas that are created sort of on the job are simply just part of your job. It's your job to create great ideas. But if your, if your idea is intellectual property that creates the inception of the company, then there could be a license agreement. So, for instance, I'm working on a slicing pie company right now where it's a, it's a medical device. We're giving the inventor of the medical device an advance and a royalty payment on the invention. And we're paying him in slices instead of cash because we don't have any cash. So he'll work alongside of us with, as an hourly rate and get a royalty on, the, on this idea. So you're not having a formal assignment of the IP to the company. The company that is in sustaining with the, the founder. It's a it's a royalty agreement, licensing agreement. Okay, so you are signing the IP to the company, and then the company is company is going to own the IP and pay the royalty back to the founder. Okay. Right. So we're doing it as if we were to establish company, but we're not. So we're using slices instead of cash. Mike. Too often, we go, oh my my idea is so important. I get ninety five percent, and the rest of the team has put up five percent. That doesn't reflect the actual value of it. The actual value of it is royalty. If I can't go out and get a royalty on my ideas, my idea might not be worth anything. Sure. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, what about – well, I was curious to know – so this kind of goes back to that that uh, splitting the aces kind of scenario. Does the system have any means for, for um, accounting for – I guess how far along the company is at the time the person joins. So, you know, obviously the first couple guys are taking the biggest risk because there's literally nothing there. And then, you know, maybe a year later they haven't broken even, but they hire somebody to do design work or something on a product that exists at that point. You know, is there, does the system account for that? I mean, obviously the, I guess they're still putting in a, a dollar value worth of their labor, but their, their bet that they're making is maybe a slightly less risky because they're, they're not betting on zero. There's, there's already something there that, that they can look at and say, this has potential. Well, it, it doesn't because the risk is unknowable. So even in established, you know, publicly traded companies, it's almost impossible to accurately assess the, the risk on trades. You don't know tomorrow if it's going to go up or down. So a startup company might seem to be less risky over time, but actually may become more risky. So for instance, let's say, we launch our. We have a great idea for a new product, and everyone's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And then we launch our product. Everyone thinks the risk went down, but the risk actually went up because no one wants our product. Or what if you get a big customer that's, that's generating a lot of revenue? We're all happy and think that risk has gone down. The next day we lose that customer. So there's no way the volatility is so great in a startup that assessing risk at any given point before break-even is, is unknowable. So the, the model overcompensates for that by putting a high multiplier in place. Interesting. So what, what made you decide? I mean, it sounds like you had some, some rough experiences in some, some companies, which is probably not that, that unusual. Um, you know, when did you decide, you know, I need to solve this problem and, and what kind of led you to, to, to build this system? After my last sort of major startup company, I kind of had a bad experience. And the, more importantly, the employees that I hired had a worse experience than I did of being sort of taken advantage of. So I remember sitting down and writing a list of criteria for an equity split that needed to I need something to be perfectly fair. I want to uh, reward actual contributions instead of promises. 
I want to keep people motivated. I want to have, I wanted to have um, no transparency and no chance for founder dispute. So I wrote the criteria down first, and then I created the model uh, based on the using a contribution model. The secret sauce that makes it work is the multipliers because it normalizes cash and non-cash, and it creates consequences on the back end when people leave the company. So the the, con- the uh, separation agreements um, provide some teeth for someone to quit the company or, or stay with the company. So I've seen people, you know, start start companies and quit midway through and leave their partners in the lurch and keep the equity. So I wanted tools that would do that. So the inception was really to create a model that worked. And I used as sort of a flavor of this in one of my previous startups with it, without the multipliers. And it sort of didn't provide the right kinds of incentives. So the combination of fair market values and the multipliers and the separation agreement really made the, uh, the tool workable in the market. So do you feel, Mike, like you're, uh, you're out there in the world uh, preaching to people who, uh, who, are, who, who are a receptive audience, or do you feel like you're, you're getting a lot of uh, you know, pushback from people? In the beginning, I got more pushback than I do now. It's been out there long enough, and it's, it has such a track record, and there's so many people talking about it that it, it, it's it's um, it's more widely accepted. Plus, I'm better at responding to questions about it. Like in the beginning, the question about the risk going up over time and adjusting the risk multipliers was was common, but now I have a better understanding of it. Um, the blackjack analogy I used earlier helps people understand it better. Once you get your head around the model, it's so logical and fair that the traditional models seem ridiculous. So I, I hope you guys will come to this realization that trying to guess the future and divide up equity in advance um, compared to basing it on the fair market value of contributions, the slicing pie model is a more logical way to split up equity and it protects all the participants in the, in the company. So people track their own time, right? I mean, that, like, so in our instance, you, know, you and I and Mike each going to start with a third of the equity um, we're each going to track our own time contribution. Is that is that right? Right. And what happens if you know Mike? I mean, Mike's actually capable, actually writing code and doing productive, useful things. Whereas I'm, uh, I'm not. I mean, so Mike's time is probably more valuable than me. I mean, in terms of building a software startup company. So we're going to take that into account by giving Mike a higher. Uh, sort of uh, grunt rate per hour than you're going to give me. Is that how we're going to take that into account? Yes and no. You run your company like you run a normal, like a real company, as if you had the money. So, Joe, if you're worth a hundred thousand dollars a year, and Mike, you're worth a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's your salary, regardless of what you're doing. If you're checking emails one hour, that's you're still getting paid a hundred thousand dollars a year. If Mike's writing code for an hour and it's more productive, he gets a hundred thousand dollars a year. If Mike's really productive, he gets raises. If he's not productive, he gets fired. But for the most part, you run your company like a normal company. When you try to assess the value of someone's contribution at any given point, you're, it's, it's, it's futile. It's, it leads to an argument. Com- employees, the fair market rate for some, someone to work for you is an annual salary. That's how, or an hourly salary. For the most part, you work it the way you work a regular company. So you always make decisions based on how a real company would make decisions. Sure. But so, okay. So, but we're going to do a couple things. One, we're going to make an estimate up front about the value of Mike's time because he maybe is worth more on an annualized basis or salary basis than I am. Uh, and then second, we're still going to track our own time, right? So there's a there's a risk here that, I mean, maybe I, you know, the time I put in is just not as productive as the time Mike puts in. 
Absolutely. That's, that's a managing issue, though. So as your manager or you're managing yourself, if you're an unproductive employee, you get a warning and then another warning. You're fired and you lose your slices in that case. What about, what about situations where the founders are part-time? I mean, I'm just kind of – or you don't know how much time they're going to spend because they're sort of working on it as a – I don't know, a side project, or they might have other freelance stuff going on. Like, so, so what if, what if Joe and I want to start a business together and we both know that there are things we can do, but because we don't know where the business is going to go, we, we don't know how, what percentage of the business is going to require my skill set and what, what's going to require his. And we, we just don't know how much time, you know, so it's a little hard to, to, I guess we could just give ourselves a salary that assumes we both work half time or something like that. But what do you do if it's more variable than that? Is there that's that is the beauty of slicing pie, and so many startups start that way: part time, full time. You know, the commitment levels vary tremendously. Your fair market salary is your fair market salary, so it's not an estimate. It's it's, it's a negotiation like a salary negotiation. So, Joe, you're, you negotiate a hundred and fifty thousand dollars fair market salary. That's your fair market salary. That means for every hour you work, whether it be full time or part time, you're risking seventy five dollars in cash or one hundred and fifty slices. So you track your time as a team. You work together to see what needs to be done and put the appropriate time in, and it's tracked by your hourly rate, which is based on your fair market salary. If Joe has a lot of great experience and Mike has no experience, Joe's rate's going to be higher than Mike's, even if he works part-time. So it's this whole idea that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what our commitment is going to be. We have no idea what the future holds. All we can know is what bets are on the table. So as the bets are placed on a daily basis, we can calculate our equity share properly. So do you see companies? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to going to kind of start to wrap things up. But if you have some more questions, we, I mean, we can go a little longer. And um, but I think it's it's a great sounds like an interesting system. I mean, certainly something anybody should look at if they're if they're trying to. This is a question that a lot of people have. And I mean, having a, a website that, that you can go to to find you know one one solution to it. It certainly should be a good resource if anything just to get people thinking and then you know if it if it looks like it fits then they can you know it sounds like everything they need is on the website if you're Joe, a company, you have more questions or if your company's bootstrapping and not paying its employees you're asking those employees and founders and investors to take risk on your behalf their percentage of the reward should equal their be based on the percentage of the risk taken if you ask someone to take less than the risk taken you're asking them to take incur risk on your behalf, which isn't fair. So slicing pie provides a mechanism for making sure that people are getting with their, their fair treatment. If you're a funded company, you don't need to use slicing pie because you can just do it, you can pay everyone. If you're not funded, you need slicing pie to account for the fact that some people aren't being paid. Right. Yeah. That's sort of the last question I was going to ask, Mike. I mean, so you come to a point where the, the your model, your your methodology you know, predicts an endpoint where it's no longer, it's no longer the right methodology to employ, right? Is that, is that right, Mike? I mean, you, you predict, an, I mean, there's an end to the grunt method of doing this, right? And that's, and that, what are those varying endpoints? So a startup company in many ways is a temporary organization. <clears throat> and I think Steve Blank said it's designed to find a repeatable and scalable business model. So during that temporary research phase, it's the startup phase, it's the bootstrapping phase. Once you find a business model that works, you can put value on it, and that value will determine your share price. So after the value is set, you no longer need slicing pie because you can, use, you can start trading it on, this, on the value. So slicing pie doesn't predict an endpoint. 
It accommodates the fact that you can't predict an endpoint, and it also accommodates the fact that there is no value to the company. So once your company becomes valuable, slicing pie stops, and your and your and traditional equity splits go into, go into place. Slicing pie allows you to have a model for dividing up equity based on this very volatile, very uncertain, very ambiguous time of your company's life, which is no value, no endpoint in place, no idea how much it's going to take to get there. I gotcha. All right. Well, good. Well, so folks out there in the in the world, if you're curious about this, go to slicingpie.com. Mike, it also appears you're pretty uh, available to uh, to people to answer questions about the about the about the methodology. Yeah, I do phone calls all the time. I'll connect people with lawyers. I've, I've been traveled extensively throughout the world giving talks on this thing. I'm always looking for opportunities yeah. to do talks, webinars, whatever it takes. My a big chunk of my life is dedicated to making sure people get what they deserve from That's their startup great. companies. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Good mission. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This has been great. So, Mike Moyer, thanks for being here. Uh, people can find more information at, is it slicingthepie.com? Slicingpie.com. Slicingpie.com. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all next week.